0: Trash
1: Cinema. Welcome, everybody, to Trash Cinema, the first episode. I'm your host, Michael, and every week I'm going to have a special guest come in, and this week I have... Andrew. Andrew is my regular co-host for Video Night.
0: Jemetsko, Video Night, uh, Jemetsko and Video Night. That's all I'm known for. <laughs> um, so
1: basically, every episode, I'm going to have a special guest come in. They're going to select a few movies, uh, and basically, either they're going to be trashy movies uh dumb fun movies it's called trash cinema so
0: come on it's...
1: yeah movies that are kind of perceived to be crap but maybe they'll turn out to be awesome they'll surprise you sometimes nah. so basically we just sit down and talk about two or three movies and uh make it a, it's a quick it's a quick episode it's yeah. kind of like video night except that it's we're short. exploring it's different it's short it's quick and dirty quick
0: and dirty this just is just
1: like a drive-in double feature every movie's like 70 minutes padded with action
0: yeah this is uh this is this is dumb stuff. This is breaking and breaking too. That's what we're first talking about, um, right? Uh,
1: and and, and uh, the third feature is kind of an homage uh-huh. to breaking is uh, uh-huh. kicking it old school. Yep. So all right. So what do you have? Why did you choose breaking?
0: Well, you you were telling me the the criteria basically, and I was like, well, I don't really need to rewatch those right now in order to get fresh on the breaking stuff. But we, I did a rewatch uh, Kicking It Old School yesterday.
1: Yeah, I, that's the one I had to rewatch. Yeah. I have to admit that I owned um, Break In 1 and 2. I have those. <laughs> On DVD? I have them. the, the Breaking
0: co- Collection. I have Break In, Break 2, and, uh, and Beat Street. And a documentary See, that came Beat with it.
1: Street, that's the thing that bugs me is that Beat Street is not part of the trilogy. Technically, Rappin' isn't. It's a, it's a semi sequel, it's set in the same universe. Really? Because Ice T is in all three. As the same rapper. Right. And it's from the same producers. It's from the same uh, company, Canon Pictures. And the director of Breakin' is also the director of Rappin'.
0: Huh. Well, um, apparently, I've never seen it, though. uh, You can watch this on YouTube, uh, but the cast from all the Breakers and the rappers from Breakin' and Breakin' 2 are also in this documentary that came out in '83, right before. Um, breakin' and that's called Breaking and Enduring and it's all about b-boys and and rapping mostly b-boys but Ice-T was featured in there and he looked just as silly as he does in the movies
1: he does okay I have to say this um <laughs> I was watching it again last night and I was just like I was actually kind of terrified of Ice-T when I was a kid because I had seen Mad Max I think around the same time he wasn't in Mad and, Max no 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 no, no. He, but he's dressed oh, as if he oh okay in. Yeah, you the, know, the, the leather man, the biker, metal spikes, leather guy. And the, yeah, those glasses. And he's,
0: he's tries to be like urban, intimidating leather biker guy. Yeah, it's a weird look. Yeah, they were doing that. Um, I, Grandmaster Flash did a couple of those looks, uh, and they're one of the most socially conscious rap groups out there. And then they look all like road warriors. <laughs> it's yeah, awesome. which is ironic. But then there's um, you know, Ice T. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, as dumb as the break-in movies are, I mean, there is barely a thread of plot, <laughs> and the actors cannot act. But,
0: but I really like Lucinda Dickey anyway.
1: Yeah, they're so enthusiastic. Everybody seems to be so happy to be doing what they're doing. You can't hate this movie. You can't well, sit there and just go, I can't, oh, it's a classic, I, great movie, but I can't, can't say go, that oh, I really like garbage. the first
0: one. I can't say that I like the first one nearly as much as I like the second one. Which is
1: the first one tries to stay in reality. Reality drama. You know, uh, to break down the plot, you know, basically it's it's kind of like Flash Dance, meets yeah. West Side Story meets a Girl on the Wrong Side of the Tracks. It's uh, basically what's her name? Lucinda Cindy Dickey? Yeah, Jenny.
0: I don't remember her character name. It's one of them.
1: She she is kind of a high end dancer. She goes to, like one of those. Yeah, fancy she's schools. a she's a
0: ballet no jazz dancer is what it is, but like yeah. like really serious stuff.
1: But she's not hitting her mark where she needs to be truly successful. Right. And then somehow she gets connected to the street dancers. Keeps auditioning. uh, Turbo and Ozone. How awesome are those names?
0: And Turbo is, like, if you watch that documentary, uh, uh, Breaking and Entering, Turbo is really, really adorable. I just combined their names. Turbone, which doesn't work. Turbone. (laughs) It doesn't work at all. Okay, so the sequel is really where it's at. The sequel Yeah,
1: the sequel is a lot of fun. The sequel is, okay. is I had seen the, the first one.
0: Clichéd uh, save the save the rec center storyline. It's right. it, of all the like ski school sort of things, all these things have those stories. This the is, rich developer that wants to take away the thing from like the blue collar people or the poor folk. Yeah, and that's what that's what that is. Um, and, that, and they
1: have a dance-a-thon to raise money for it uh-huh. <laughs> I also love the fact that the second one is
0: completely out of reality. It is comic book it's, almost um i the dancing on the ceiling part when like <laughs> shit. Uh, so awesome turbo it has to learn how to dance with a girl so he starts that was the first one as well too. the broom dance it's reprised. that was awesome too repri- yeah,
1: the dance sequences are very clever
0: yeah they were they reprise this certain fan favorite stuff from the first one it's just amp it up to stupid and it makes a better movie uh
1: are you are you creeped out by the sequence where he's trying to make out with the blow up doll with the wig? <laughs> well, that's that stops making me uncomfortable. And then,
0: <laughs> and then he starts dancing on the. Ceiling. It's like right next door to the dancing on the ceiling part where they have the camera mounted on one wall and then the room spins. But he like crawls and break dances and pop locks up the c- side of the w- wall. It's great.
1: Yeah, I had the soundtrack to this and I listen to it all the time.: it's the I, had the soundtrack- I've ever I had have the soundtrack. I
0: have the I have the vinyl of the first first movie.
1: No kidding. Yeah,
0: we we found it locally at a, at a thrift store, and I was like, "I don't care. I'm buying it. I won't ever listen to it. I have this now. It's mine." Yeah, I love in. the fact that uh, this
1: is Van Damme's first movie. Breaking one. Yeah, you only see him for a few seconds. He's at the beach. His scene. terrible dance. He's at the beach. He's scene. one of the worst dancers ever. He does
0: this whole shoulder shake, it clap, shoulder yeah. head swivel, clap. <laughs> Like he's got boobs that he's shaking, but he's got these. He's still like Van Damme. He looks like Kung Fu beat up Chopsaki Van Damme, but he's like got the the really thin. Uh, what is it? The thin tank top on. Yeah, and that's and uh, it's
1: loose Terrible decision. Oh, and the movies, man. The colors in the movies, especially the second one, that is like day glow. Oh, they go nuts neon. because of
0: all the graffiti. Remember, they 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 uh, fit out, uh, fix up the the uh, rec center with. Like, hey, everybody, let's make it look better. Let's clean it up and show them what for. And then they just paint it like it's a big, like it's a preschooler's uh, colorful, I don't know, vision of, I don't know, like if a, if a preschooler could trip acid. <laughs> hey yeah, no, i still can't believe graffiti yeah
1: that the movies came out both movies came out in the same year no how fast no, no, no. How, 83 how
0: and 84 but yeah they're hot on really? the heels of each other yes oh. the two that came out in the same year were breaking and entering and break it okay because i
1: remember being in the theater at christmas and i was like didn't we just watch this on video like didn't it just come out
0: <laughs> so you saw this in the theater you saw yes, Breaking Too? My
1: parents took us to the theater. We loved it, man. Oh, I, we loved it. I movie.
0: envy you, man. I wasn't in America at the time. That's why I didn't see it. But I was in Holland, and Holland was huge. And Germany was huge on Breaking. They took to that stuff. like... like Did you ever break dance? Uh, yeah, I could pop. My mom. No kidding. Yeah. I couldn't do crap. I couldn't break dance. I could up rock and I could pop. And as a 10 year old, 9 year old, 10 year old, my mom would. T- <laughs> to the German uh, relatives, she would go. Like, Andrew, Andrew, come here. Come here, come here. And I go, what? Do the popping. Do the popping. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, I don't want to do the pop. Do the popping. Do the pop. I don't want to, Mom. Do the popping. So it's like, okay. And so I'd get my brother to put on, like, a Fat Boy song or Herbie Hancock's Rocket. And so I would, like, do this robot and end with the scarecrow bit where you hit your head and then you cr- crumble. Yeah, it's... I could moonwalk I like nobody's I business. Doing, I was like a rival to Michael Jackson as far as moonwalking goes. So I was really nice. good at that. Yeah.
1: Second grade, someone was doing some breakdancing. And uh, literally they asked me, I was like, hey, can you do it? And I was like, oh, sure. And I did the little arm robot thing or whatever. Yeah. And I go, that, that, the that's it. That's all I, and that's the only thing I ever did. And I, I only did it one time. I was like, that's it. That's stupid. You're literally doing it right now. People who are listening, <laughs> he is doing it right
0: now. It's awesome. Yeah. It's, yeah my, my thing was the robot. Anything robot like that stuff, and then I could go to the moonwalk. I couldn't do any yeah. of the spinny, body flailing, windmill stuff. Did you
1: ever dress like it? Did you ever wear parachute pants?
0: Not never parachute pants, but there were the tighter ones with zippers all over them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. How that. did you
1: spin with zippers? How do you think it would like slow you down and get caught?
0: Uh, if if they're 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 diagonally up your leg, so uh. it's not like. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's that's the, all right. The so with
1: breaking, yeah, they're silly fun. Uh, they're coming out on DVD double feature in like a week. And speaking of one connection between kicking it old school and breaking is Christopher McDonald.
0: Yeah, really. Who is he in breaking? Whatever.
1: He, he's the boyfriend in the first movie. Okay,
0: right, and where he's like, no, I'm looking down upon your your inner city ways, and he, he's the dad, right. he, and he's the crazy dad, in in. Um, Kicking it old school. Whoa, cool graphics! I know, huh? It's Jemetska. Qua? You know, Jemetska, designer of t shirts and other stuff. Oh, rad! Other stuff! Like mugs, art prints, smartphone accessories. Just visit www.jemetsco.com. All right! Kicking it Old School is about a kid who, in the 80s, uh, breaks his neck doing this crazy flip thing after he does a head spin and he goes, he gets into a coma for 20 something years, wakes up, and he's Jamie Kennedy. The kid who goes to sleep looks absolutely nothing like Jamie Kennedy. He, no, not He's, even in fact, close. really cute, and when he wakes up, he's Jamie Kennedy, really jamie kennedy now i yeah. um i met jamie kennedy once after what he, after he did scream two and i pitched him scream three and how they could actually get him back and my story was like he's the tw- long lost twin brother who went the other huh. way and went to college and left and all that stuff and he was like super brain while jamie kennedy was anyway i did that and jamie kennedy was just the, uh-huh uh-huh well they got their script writers but when I met him, he was, <laughs> he was doing uh, stand up comedy and he was really good. And he did a great Ted Levine um, impression. And it was really funny, but it was at a stupid college that nobody uh, really was there to see him do his act. But I was, and I met him, and that was cool. And then he, he signed a business card of mine. Woo! Nice. but you still got it? Yeah, I do. But um, with Kicking It Old School, here's my connection to kick It Old School. I do t-shirt designs, and I did a collaboration t-shirt design for a contest for Kicking It Old School on Threadless.com. And no kid. Uh, my friend Josh, uh, Impossible Josh, on there. Now he's Ladronas, I think you can look up his name, Ladronas. Anyway, he and I did a break battle scene between Bigfoot and my character called Yeticorn. Yeti corn. So uh, I have my my Yeti corn with the, the the puffy vest with the um, Ralph Macchio headband and, uh-huh. and uh, band, uh, like a bandana around his leg, and he's wearing um, Adidas high tops, and he's just standing there, and uh, the Bigfoot. Looks tough and everything, too. And he says, I said dance, suckers! Says this little boombox sensei. <laughs> it's, the boombox is a sensei. He's like this really tiny... His head is a boombox, but his body is like this karate dude. And there's a cardboard thing. And that won. So, that okay. thing won. And then uh, Threadless had, you know, given some shirts to Jamie Kennedy, and he couldn't be bothered to wear them. So there's just a picture of him holding one up. And I'm like, Jamie, seriously... Just put the shirt on. Just put the shirt on. Anyway, so... I'm a winner! Kicking it old Wee. school. I got a bunch of posters that I'll never put up. And the movie is <laughs> terrible. But we were so excited to see it. So my wife and I went and saw it. And we were so... You know, I, I'm not going to say the movie's terrible. Oh, but come on. You... It's pretty bad. There, no, there's a lot of problems with the movie. So I many. I don't think the script... What? There's so many problems.
1: I don't think there's any energy to the movie at all. A movie about dancing... With the exception of the actual dance sequences, there is no flow to it at all. Well, that Casper kid like,
0: is amazing. Casper, the, the that? rival that he's is hired to kick his butt, right? The little dance. kid. Casper is amazing. He's just an amazing dance dude. But um, yeah, my
1: yeah, it's just like the director either didn't know what to do, or he couldn't control what he was doing because. When you watch it, it feels like he wasn't even like, okay, this is the the energy, the beats. You know, comedy is a beat,
0: a rhythm yeah. thing.
1: You have to get it right. There were there and, were
0: a lot of moments, uh, and it's all smattered throughout. And you're right, they're not with any particular rhythm, but there are a lot of chuckles throughout the movie. But that's it. There's there's not a lot of laughter really, just chuckles. Yeah,
1: and, and it's uh, I would say like it's probably greenlit because a he was coming off of Malibu's Most Wanted, but then he TV did... show. He
0: did the rap TV show with Stu Stone on MTV. And yeah, and right then The right Mass the 2. The Mass 2
1: just killed him. That bombed so badly that it basically buried him.
0: So, was it Yari Film Group released this? And they thought that was going to be their saving grace? and I think so. didn't, But it... they were actually really writing off of his TV show with Stu Stone. In fact, the like 1984 song is at the end credits that he and Stu Stone did. Oh, okay. Which, that album is is a fun time capsule nostalgia homage, but really you can't listen to it too often. Right, but I also feel like it got greenlit because he probably said, oh, it's like The Wedding Singer, but
1: with hip-hop. Mm. Yeah, well. Instead of New Wave. Didn't work. And it doesn't, it doesn't have any of the heart or the uh, endearing characters or even anything unusual. And I feel like a lot of times it's actually kind of clueless and behind the times because you see mm-hmm. a lot of stuff... Like what? Like two or three times, they say like retard and yeah. fag. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally uh, at no, the end no, of the, the day, a guy it's holding a much, sign that
0: says what? The fag thing, not too much, but the the retard. They bring that joke out like it's a brand new one, and it's not. Yeah, it's just it's terrible. I don't know why someone who uh, did the screenings for this didn't go.
1: Oh, I uh, guess what there was a bad reaction to this. Or <laughs> what, what's screens. scarier <laughs> is that the audience was like,
0: "That was awesome." <laughs> yeah, I. The, so the crappy breakdance crew he has to, he wants to pay his parents back and uh for being in a coma and they're in debt so much money so he gets his old crew back together to breakdance but there are a bunch of uh, slobby dudes and what's the black guy's name what's his name the actor i know I'm he's like in of, his 50s in my head. he was like in his 50s when miguel he did this uh he was he was in return of the living dead yeah miguel nunez yeah miguel nunez yeah, yeah. He was in Return of Living Dead when he was in his 20s, in the 80s. So, yeah. <laughs> so, and then they cast him as his best friend who was about the same age when he went into a coma. And then he comes out and then he's like supposed to be 35, maybe. And he's not. He's, he's like 50. So that's funny to me. But anyway, yeah. kicking it old school. It's on YouTube if you want to track, track that down and not have to pay for it at all
1: yeah I don't know i i usually say I don't usually condone that kind of thing, but uh with this movie, yeah, I wouldn't spend my money yeah just it, it seemed like it was trying to be an homage movie like or and at the same time be like a, a nostalgia movie where they keep bringing up stuff from the eighties, like hey, why isn't m t v playing music videos? You must be on the wrong station, you know, stuff like that um, you know, that's kinda humorous, but at the same time, they're not really quality jokes, relying on just
0: uh old
1: oh remember this. Kind of thing or the
0: juxtaposition of like he's he doesn't like on let me show you the internet and then he shows them a ton of porn and, oh, they, yeah, and they, they don't even like, they don't even show the porn which is great or no no screenshots of it, which is fine because we don't need that to sell the joke but then he's just like yeah, I didn't know they could do that and whatever and, <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Jimmy Kennedy had one shot of being a real star and it's just kind of gone now I think He's, I don't know if it's, it's him that wasn't able to bring his energy through, or they made him a star when he really shouldn't have been a star. He should have stayed a supporting character.
0: Yeah, he, I think, would be a, a character actor, if anything. Um, I, like, I liked his stand-up routine. He has a movie called Heckler. Um, and that, Oh, yeah, is it good? That's a documentary where he shot, and that's actually interesting, interesting stand-up comedy documentary about people who heckle. And he's really good at giving back to the hecklers. That's a gift that he has. So a heckler will just interrupt his show and he'll like shoot back with something that shuts <laughs> the heckler down and it's amazing. The audience. I can never
1: be I can never handle heckling.
0: I tried to do stand up and it just made me want to cry. Oh me, stop me. Apparently, according mm. to this thing, you just have to turn it back. Find the thing that just maybe physically or whatever, or just get cerebral on the guy, and just yeah. take him down that way, and the guy will be like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All
1: right, so I think we've hit the end of our episode. Right, uh, I would say yes. Break in yes two. to breaking
0: one and two. Breaking break two especially. Absolutely. Okay.
1: But skip kicking it old school unless you just are curious. Curious, yes. And that's it. That. Right. So... Thank you, thank yeah. you for choosing those. Those are a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. I'm Michael, your host, and my guest this week is Tony. Hello, I'm Tony. All right. His selections this week. Actually, we kind of collaborated on this one. Usually, the guest chooses, and I get to be tortured with them. We kind of discussed this one because this is our uh, this is our first real episode, not a pilot episode. And we decided to go with uh, blade exploitation. Is that what you would call this mini genre? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roughly, yeah. Yeah. There's only like four movies in this style of movie uh style of uh extreme movies because you know they got the bike movies they got the skateboard movies the surf movies but for a very short period of time everybody was obsessed with rollerblading and i would say probably airborne is probably the biggest of the three or four roll there's a there's prayer of the roller boys which we're discussing second and then there's solar babies does that count does a roller... uh, yeah yeah i think that's roughly you know a part of it and then there was, like, a whole series of, like, the Rollerblades 7. Basically, the Magnificent Seven, except in the post-apocalyptic future where everybody's on Rollerblades. Apparently, plastic held up very well in the future.
2: Yeah. And, and long trench coats. I yes. mean, it just, it's a huge thing.
1: Yeah, it's like, with the exception of Airborne, all these movies were obsessed with, like, uh, uh, you know, wearing the same exact style of clothing. It was a very flashy, stylish gang.
2: Yeah, it's kind of like, a, like an updated version of Rollerball, only without LL Cool J. Yeah. And
1: uh, less. Actually, you know what? That movie's awful. That's probably, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably. Actually, I said Airborne's the biggest one. I forgot about the remake of Rollerball. That thing was a <laughs> massive, massive flop. And I don't think I want to hurt my brain with that movie.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, like these are tough, but that one actually is uh, is is a one where you're just you're not gonna come back from it. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, how can a studio put so much money and time into it, with, and then go, oh yeah, we're gonna have Chris Klein be the star? I don't know if he's star material. No, no, we're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna go ahead with this. Okay, all right. <laughs> Um, so our first movie is Airborne. Um we were discussing, you know, kinda of fun, crappy movies, and I have to admit that I've seen this movie I maybe triple digits. I've seen this movie a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you and as many times as I've seen it, I've never realized it until recently that Seth Green and Jack Black are actually parts of the movie.
1: Yeah. Wait, uh, so you haven't seen it in a while, then, because that probably would have clicked in recently. You're like, oh, wait, I know. Yeah, no,
2: I mean, like, I, I hit the triple digits back when I was a kid. Like, in the last 10, 20 years, not so much.
1: Yeah. Well, the movie's also incredibly hard to find because it was only on VHS. And I think it, now it's on, like, print-on-demand, but that's, that shit's expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Airborne, I didn't – I remember the commercials uh, on TV, but I didn't really pay attention to it. You know, I was like, oh, whatever. And then I was in college and your budget is very slim and you have very few movie movie selections and someone had let us borrow Airborne. We borrowed that until I think we nearly broke it. I think we had to buy it off of him cuz we watched it so many times. <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing. But you know, we, you know if you latch onto a movie when you're younger, man, you used to watch the shit out of movies back in the day, but now you don't it's like you have uh streaming options. You're like, "No, I'll no, i'm probably never gonna get back to that ever again yeah yeah
2: i was like that was a good move i'm gonna watch it one day again no no it sits in your queue for years
1: until they just lose their contract You're like ah, yeah. oh crap i missed it
2: uh airborne
1: basically it's uh, a kid from california his parents are going off to africa and he is sent to cleveland oh no no not uh, africa australia Australia, yeah. Now, here's what bugs me. Are there not schools in Australia that he could have gone to? I mean, it's an English-speaking country. They're yeah, yeah, you up.
2: know, it's like, I'm sorry. Like, we, they don't speak English there, and it's so far away, and their, their system of schooling is, you know, it's an old penal colony. We just can't bring you along. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, your fear of kangaroos. I was like, oh, don't bring it up again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so they send him to Cleveland, uh, a.k.a. Canada. This movie reeks of Canada. It really does. Maple syrup everywhere. And he is a, out of, a fish out of water. It's, I mean, it's one of those cliché stories where they take a kid, you know. Oh, it's kind of like Karate Kid in reverse, you know, instead of yeah. uh, California, or going to California, it's California back to wherever he came from. I, 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 it's hard to hate this movie, but there is stuff in this movie that makes you go, huh? A what? The, yeah, eh. yeah.
2: How did how did you do that progression? How did we reach this point? Yeah. Where did it all go wrong? The, well, it starts
1: off going wrong because the director Rob Bowman, who is a damn fine director, but this is his first movie. He would later go on to do the X Files, Fight the Future, and Reign of Fire. Yeah. Uh, Rob Bowman, he he apparently loves montages. There's like yeah. six montages in this yeah. movie. Yeah. I was
2: actually going to ask about that. I was like, did you know how many montages there were? <laughs> well, I mean, it was kind of crazy.
1: Montage. In fact, if you took out those montages, I think the movie's twenty minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first montage is where. I can't even remember the kid's name, the the no. character's name. I'm so dumbfounded by this, but I it's uh, Seth McDermott,
2: I think? Sean I, I, McDermott? Honestly, like, I just know him as uh, a as zen surfer after a while, because yeah. that's pretty much what it was.
1: I actually thought that he was Dylan McDermott's brother for a long time, but I was wrong about that. Uh, this kid is the prettiest thing in this movie, and there's some gorgeous women in this movie, but he's the prettiest damn thing. It's ridiculous. He looks animated, like someone drew him and just somehow made it come to life. Mm-hmm. unrealistic hair teeth and facial features it's it's bizarre how like perfect he is and it, it's kind of creepy because you think that maybe he's part of hitler's plan
2: yeah <laughs> although on the plus side like i have to give him credit for uh not reshooting falls because there's a lot of falls in this movie and yeah. you know he's like well, let's go with it it's it's natural it happens a lot
1: of people eat dirt in this movie but uh th- so the first montage is him being introduced to the whole class and he's basically telling about, like, the surfer stuff and how great it is to be in California. Okay, he's really – he, I, I have to question his mentality for bringing a surfboard with him because there is no surf in Cleveland. And anybody with the IQ higher than a pumpkin would know this. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, and maybe it's, like, Linus in his blanket. Like, he needs to be attached to this or he can't survive.
2: Although I mean, there was that one scene where he's surfing on his bed. I wonder if that's like a regular thing for him. You know, he just surfs on bed as a as a as a pastime.
1: Yeah, it could be his Zen moment where he just kind of loses yeah. himself. And that okay, I'll give you that. Uh, but he's introducing himself and he says something to I. He says the words "liquid draino wannabe Bullwinkle. <laughs> what the fuck is that?
2: <laughs> I keep you know sometimes at, oh. when you're uh, when you're I, I got nothing. Honestly, I I got nothing. It's. <laughs>
1: i I keep trying to i I rewound it and rewound it and kept no i'm not aware does this make any sense whatsoever i can't even like break it down in surfer lingo it's complete (laughs) nonsense i think that's part of the problem is that the writer of this movie didn't actually know anything about rollerblading or surfing or anything and he just like i was making one up whatever no 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 one cares it's like the same guy who came with gleaming the cube gleaming the cube isn't a thing
2: we're, we're assuming that the writer took uh, control of that. Maybe there were just instances where he flat out just wrote in the script, just say something smart sounding, just just go for it.
1: <laughs> I wonder if he had just like a, a dictionary he would just flip through. Liquid, Torino, uh, uh, ball call. All right, we're good. <laughs> and my favorite part after that is um, the tough guy, the, the big tough hockey player. He looks at him and goes, surfer. And now he goes, pretty boy, surfer. A surfer, oh my God, that hurts so bad. It's like oh, he was man. just
2: randomly picking words. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Followed by the really like awkward montage of him slowly getting more naked. Yeah, I was like, I don't even know. I can't. I just, I, I want to feel
1: uncomfortable here, but he's so pretty. It's, it's ridiculous. I had to question myself when I was a young man. I was like, huh, oh, I uh, wow, he is magnificent. Yeah, right. That <laughs> is, is he a, a robot?
2: That is a piece of work. That can't be real.
1: Uh, And then the funny thing is he stopped acting, so I guess he just got bored by it. I don't remember what he does. He does like charity work now, which kudos to him for not being a self-indulgent actor. (laughs) Uh, Oh, Seth Green. Okay, so his hair helmet is magnificent. When he is uh, skating, there's no reason for him to wear an actual helmet. He could literally smash his head into a wall and be completely fine. That thing is so heavy and thick.
2: Yeah, honestly, this thing could be said about said about uh Jack Black's uh forehead. Like he just it just feels <laughs> like he has a good crow magnon look going on there.
1: Yeah, the haircut doesn't help. That is one of the craziest haircuts. It's just like I cut this with a Oh, he probably used the 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 floby. Yeah, 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 that's right. Thing. That's probably what he used to do it and it's just like, "Oh, that's a mess. Whatever, it works." He's actually pretty enjoyable in that movie. No matter what is going on, he always seems to have something going on in the background if you watch it again. You watch in the foreground. There's something bo- uh, bonkers going on with his facial features. He just oddly
2: yeah. enough, if you uh, if you cover the bottom half of his face and just look at his eyes, it looks like he's smiling the entire movie.
1: Yeah, because he's probably confused by what the hell's going on. Yeah, so I, was like, like, I don't is, even this know this why. This
2: got really? All right, whatever. <laughs> this isn't high fidelity. What am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Seth Green, his character Wiley, is the epitome of socially unacceptable nerd. He, he can you know, barely. but will be
2: glad to know that his character evolves from completely, you know, worthless to only slightly worthless.
1: <laughs> okay, so his montage scene where they're going to go to a party, or no, they're going on a double date.
2: Yeah, and yeah. And
1: he needs to pull it together to look cool. I actually worried about his mental state during that montage. Because <laughs> there are selections that he, no, nobody would ever choose this. Nobody ever would make that, oh, well. Oh. It's also a perfect time capsule to what was going on around 1993 true true oh, it hurts i was like oh that's right we loved blind melon at the time oh my god you know or the, uh, it's just ridiculous or um what was i thinking H- how is it that he had that kind of budget for that many clothes i know right they didn't look like a horribly rich family and it's just like he went crazy buying whatever popped in his head it's like huh.
2: You know, like, those aren't cheap things. I mean, those boots, that jacket, the helmet, that's like, what, 200 bucks right there by itself?
1: It yeah, it's just like, wow, this kid has a surplus unless he was a really good shopper at thrift stores because there's no yeah. way any – men do not have a lot of clothes in general. I mean, we'll have the kind of thing where it's like, uh, you know what, my closet has a week's worth of clothing. We're good. I don't need to buy any more. I can spend it on video games or comic books or something. No one buys clothes at that age.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to talk to you about how many suits I have in my closet yes, right now. Really? Really? Uh, I have a suit problem. Oh, not not on like the How I Met Your Mother Barney level, but uh, but it's still a problem. Well,
1: I have to say, I have like a gimmicky, cutesy, dorky t-shirt collection that's getting out of hand. Like, I need to get
2: rid of some of them.
1: But no, but at 16, were you that clothes obsessed?
2: Um no no absolutely not 16 or how old they're supposed to be in this movie because I'm pretty sure Seth 3 is at least 25. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I didn't I didn't I didn't have the money for it nor did I have the patience. I would go to Chess King and pick up a shirt like once every 4 months. If you remember Chess yeah. King, that horrible mall. Yeah. Um but the action sequence at the end, you know, what's it called, Devil's Backbone?
2: Yeah, yeah. That is uh, crazy good. Honestly, it is, but it also is confusing as hell as to how it got to that point and how anyone, like, I'm glad that it touched base towards the end of it where the main character flat out has no idea where to go because yeah. there's so many turns and squiggles and moves on that thing towards, like, okay, you go down the street, you turn left, you go down the street, you turn right, cool. Yeah, and then you get no down to the bottom of the street and then you cross this bridge, all right, getting a little weird but cool. And then you go through the fucking, uh, you go through the stadium, all right, getting weirder, and they go to the parking lot. Okay, then what? Then you go down the parking lot. Who the hell made this map?
1: <laughs> I know. Nobody actually put up markers. There's no, like, oh, that, there's the orange cones. Okay, we need to go this way. No, and it's, it's really random, too. It's not just, like, it starts off on the mountain or the hill or whatever. Yeah, then yeah. And it's like, we're just going to go straight through town. Does anybody care? We're going to cause traffic issues? No? Okay, we're yeah. good. How are none of us arrested?
2: Yeah, right? How does nobody die? We're going to go underneath trucks, between traffic, through cars. I mean, this is perfectly normal. Yeah, that one kid, though, nearly got eaten, man. He's yeah. right under that car, and I was like,
3: oh, damn! Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I mean, it was, there were was some really scary moments. So, But, uh, I mean, like it was definitely, you know, like, action-packed. You're like, oh, yeah, man, this is so cool. As a kid, you're like, yeah, I totally would do that. Yeah, no, no, no. Bad no, no. idea. Now
1: you're just like, oh, the insurance costs, my knees, oh, God, I can't, no. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So even today, though, it's still pretty entertaining. It is not a smart movie. It is a disposable movie. I would say it's trashy, but it's still good in the way that they set up, especially the final sequence. Uh, I can't say so much about our second movie. (laughs) Uh, Prayer of the Roller Boys. When I saw this in high school, I thought it was pretty damn cool. Watching it yesterday, my brain hurt. A lot.
2: I was, I was, honestly, like, I know it was like a PG-13 movie, but I was just waiting for people just to die left and right from just stupid mistakes, because uh, we'll, we'll get into it, but there's some really tactical problems with this one that bothered the hell out of me.
1: Yeah. Uh, basically, the cl- uh, plot boils down to, it's a future, no actual year, I think is said, it's just like a random, like, uh eh, 20 years from now, whatever. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a dystopian world where everything's falling apart, governments are selling off stuff, like like, they're selling off states and countries, and colleges that are high-end are being literally picked up and moved to countries that are actually still held together pretty well. It's actually yeah. a little bit uh, more ahead of its time than I thought when they are like, oh, well, China's doing well. That makes sense. America, not so much because we overspent.
2: Uh, I mean, like, there is sound reasoning behind it. Is the, the core of it is the fact that we all just kept taking loans and taking loans and taking loans, and suddenly we couldn't pay back any of the loans and so other countries were just buying, I guess, piecemeal.
1: Yeah, and then the only real economy, apparently, is drugs and pizza delivery.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the fact that, you know, pizza delivery is a huge thing, I mean, you know, makes sense. Pizza is a huge market in this world.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I imagine even in the post-apocalyptic Mad Max zones, we like, one last pizza stand, and they have to get out there, and it's, like, $4,000 for a slice of pizza. <laughs> but, yeah, Corey uh, Haim is the star. It's right as his career was starting to fall completely apart because of the drug use. This actually was funded by JVC. And a couple other decent companies. So, this wasn't, I think it was intended to be in theaters, and it may have been in theaters in Canada and overseas, not in America. And he is the pizza delivery boy who's trying to get his brother through this horrible world. And the only way for you to have, like, a home or proper, you can be in a certain area of the city if you have employment. If you don't, you're sent off to, like, basically concentration camps where people are just dumped into these barbed wire, horrible garbage world and the only way yeah like you have to have some sort of proper job or income and the pizza delivery thing isn't working out too well he saves this dude's life and he finds out he's part of this group called the roller boys which is kind of like a rebellious gang it's kind of hard to figure out they're um they are a gang like a street gang but at the yeah. same time, they have high aspirations they want to change the world they want a revolution and try to fix things but they're going about it in a really weird way by selling drugs
2: and, and they're secretly racist, but not secretly racist at the same time. <laughs>
1: right. And... Which,
2: you know, is a very key point because, you know, the, the kid's best friend is this black dude who's like, you know, just the, the ever, like, older black guy with really solid advice. It's yeah. Like...
1: And, yeah, I didn't even dawn on me at first, but, yeah, they're basically Aryan, Aryan nation little Nazi, neo-Nazi kind of guys.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's even a montage towards the end of it where there is a Dolph Lundgren lookalike who's basically doing pull-ups while making drugs. It makes no sense whatsoever.
1: I can't – that's Mark Pellegrino. I don't know if you know who he is. He was on Dexter and – Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right.
2: Yeah, and uh, he's in his
1: badass new movie called Bad Turns Worse. It's on Netflix. Seriously, it's awesome. He should have gotten an award for that. He's really damn good. But this is really early on in his career, and I think it was right after No Holds Barred, <laughs> that crappy Hulk Hogan movie. Dude, there's a great – there's a trash cinema double feature in any Hulk Hogan movie just sitting there waiting to happen. Oh,
2: man. Suburban Commando, No Holds Barred. I mean, Mystery we could, have a, a, a day. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say
1: the action is really clumsy. It doesn't have the budget to really get across what it wants to do. So that's part of the problem. And I would say Corey Hames is the other problem. I never noticed – for even a moment that Corey Hame is even in the scene. Like he's there saying his lines, but he's not listening to anybody. He's just waiting for his pause.
2: Yeah, yeah. Not only that, but like there's a crap load of scenes that make you just really uncomfortable in this movie. Like one of the first scenes you see is Corey Hame's little brother hitting on this oh, yeah. Patricia you know, Marquette. this girl who's who's supposed to be Corey Haim's age, but I'm pretty sure she's just made it look like she's thirty five or something. Yeah. Yeah, Patricia you know, Arquette
1: is in this movie right before True Romance, so it was kind of a bad, bad moment in her career.
2: Yeah. Not to mention the fact that like Corey Haim looks like he's 16 and she looks like she's 35 and they're the love interest of each other. So it makes it really awkward later on. Yeah. I don't think she
1: was at all. She just happens to be one of those ladies who looks older. But yeah, it's like the whole time you're just like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Something about this just doesn't. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, it'd be different if it was like, you know, one of those teacher student moments. But it doesn't feel like that at all. It just feels like uh, that's a cougar right there.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of actors in this movie who are just, they feel like they're all in different movies. Like, they're oh, this one's playing it like a comedy. Oh, this one's playing it like a serious drama. This one's playing it like a generic action movie.
2: And yeah. it's just, it's a mess. You know, and like, I know it doesn't come out until like 10, 20 years later, but like the entire time, all I could think of was the Double Dragon live action movie. Oh! It's like, oh man, this is take place in the same universe, I swear. Like, even the cars look like the same.
1: Double Dragon came out, what, three years
2: later, I think? I think, yeah, yeah. but it is like, man, I, I think they use the same lot or something because it's like, basically the same universe. Yeah,
1: I would not be surprised. There has to be, like, one post apocalyptic lot that everybody uses. They can't, like, afford to do that a lot. True, true. I was watching something where they did it, oh, the road where they shot it in Philadelphia, and I was like, oh, they must use a lot of CGI. No, Philadelphia is that fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they did in Escape from New York, too. They used St. Louis, and I was like, St. Louis <laughs> is messed up. This is horrifying. Yeah, I, I can't recommend this one. Airborne is the one I would go with. Prayer of the Roller Boys, it's a moment in time. like It's right as like the rise of Electro. Like You hear Nine Inch Nails and a couple of the bands. They're like, oh, wow, these guys were picking bands before they really hit it big. So it's a time capsule movie too, Yeah. but one that doesn't hold up very well.
2: Although I have to admit, like towards the end of the movie when they're actually doing the huge combat sequences, they finally get into it. Yeah, uh, you're 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 honestly waiting for one of those roller boys to trip on his blades and like AK forty seven his own face off because oh. it's just it's just not tactically sound. Who 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 rollerblades and shoots? It's just there's something that happened. Did you ever rollerblade? I yeah, I did. I rollerbladed.
1: I found it easier than roller skating, which it's weird to think that one solid line is easier to skate on than four wheels that are kind of separate it's just it's bizarre, but i guess it just puts less pressure on your ankle
2: yeah less pressure it allows you for uh angular movement so it's like the same thing as ice skating imagine trying to ice skate with like big giant blocks on your feet instead of you know blades and that's yeah. kind of how i feel like roller skating is to me
1: and they're everywhere i don't see anybody rollerblade. actually i don't see anybody roller skating or rollerblading anywhere anymore do you
2: no, no. It's besides like the X Games. You just it's not as common as it used to be in the nineties.
1: Yeah, when I lived in Monterey, you just see them zooming by like what 12, 13 years ago, zooming by all the time on rollerblades. You're like, hey, that's cool. And now it's just like, nope. You think in Portland, the the land of the hipster, that there'd yeah. be like tons of people in like old seventies rollerblade or roller skates and stuff like that with a with a radio on their shoulder,
2: roller boogie. <laughs> but no, I've never know? seen it. Yeah, that that does make sense. Of all places, you know, you'd think this would be the place. No, not so much.
1: All right, so I think that's it for our Bladesploitation special. You got any last words about any of these movies?
2: Uh, don't watch them together. That's what we did, and my brain really hurts. <laughs> I, I did it back-to-back, and I regret it entirely.
1: Your, your eyeball is twitching?
2: Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I wanted to scoop my eyeballs out with spoons afterwards. It just hurt hurt so bad. (laughs) All
1: right, so, Tony, you and I actually kind of came together on this one to try to uh, pick a a good double feature of, uh, I don't want to say it's a trashy movie, uh, but they're difficult, not very good, painful movies.
2: (laughs) It definitely feels like someone made a wish to make a wish foundation or something because, you know, this is an instance of Home Alone. How did it get made?
1: Yeah. This uh, we decided. <laughs> th- okay, so Shaquille O'Neal, roughly 20 years ago, was the biggest thing on the planet. Not not just because he was so tall. I mean, everybody was crazy about Shaquille O'Neal, and somehow because of this, he finagled a picture deal. And, and he wasn't like there's was a lot of basketball stars that were very popular back then, but none of them really broke out. Sure, Michael Jordan had Space Jam. But nothing really hit like Shaquille O'Neal, but his movies were not successful.
2: To be fair, Shaq was getting out there as much as uh, Michael Jordan was. I mean, Michael Jordan put out a video game. Shaquille O'Neal put out a video game. (laughs) shaq foo.
1: We we joke about this all the time because it is not a good game. It is not. No, not even. It it, it wasn't just that. He also had the record deal.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a... That's one of those places where, you know, Michael Jordan or had baseball and we all laughed and he had the record deal and we all laughed. Like, there there was a clear contest going on here.
1: Right. I think the only other person that even hit the same realm as those two with pop culture was Dennis Rodman, but for
2: a whole different reason. <laughs> hey, you know, he, he was up there with Knockoff and uh, with Jean Claude Van Damme. Uh, double team. <laughs> double team. Oh. oh, was it double
1: team? Yeah, double team. It's the, the basketball jokes like crazy. Oh, my uh, God. That movies, that's a painful one, too. You know, Van Damme made a lot of highly entertaining trash. Uh, there is, there's a lot to choose from if we ever decide to do an episode with him.
2: <laughs> that would be an entire marathon. I don't know if we could do it. Oh, yeah, that might hurt. That'd be like six hours in. Okay, for the next movie. <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme does a flying split kick. Is anyone surprised? No, not even.
1: And he no. bubble mouse everything. But I love Van Damme. No <laughs> knock on him. It's just he couldn't get the same kind of selection that like, Stallone and Schwarzenegger. You know what, now that I think about it, a lot of those action guys had some awful movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They all do their
2: bits. Yeah, so
1: Shaquille O'Neal easily could have gone the route of doing action moves with ease. But he was kind of a nice, you know, like, happy-go-lucky kind of basketball player. So he had a lot of family-friendly kind of qualities to him.
2: I, I'm going to put that on the fact that he was always one of those family man type of deals. Like if he made a movie and his mama saw it, he'd probably like scream or cry because yeah. his mama would beat him.
1: So, his first movie is Blue Chips. It wasn't a huge success, but it was critically well-received. He, he did a decent job in it. Here's the funny thing about Blue Chips, I'll tell you this. Is, um, my friend, his birthday, we rented a limo and drove to our town's premiere of Blue Chips. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't remember the movie being that entertaining. I was like, eh, it's okay. I can't believe we spent this kind of money to go to the movie, but whatever.
2: Live a little, you know?
1: Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, he went the kid's route, and that's where everything went wrong. (laughs) So our first movie is Kazam. I don't know what to say about Kazam, because I don't know what it's about. I literally just watched this for the first time, and it was over with. I think it's about a genie that helps get back a stolen bootleg tape.
2: Is that the plot? That was pretty much it, yeah. I mean, well, to be fair, it was a little more than that. It was about a genie who secretly wanted to be a rap artist who was secretly actually just Shaquille O'Neal right. who wanted to be a rap artist. And then there was a kid involved somewhere somewhere in there.
1: Yeah, somehow. I, yeah, I feel like the script was just like a bare-bones outline. It was like, well, let's just fitted it to him because, you know, there's basketball jokes. There's the rapping jokes. It, was, it It's a vanity project. It's totally a vanity
2: project. Well, there's, there is – some points where you're willing to extend your disbelief and then there's points to where the movie first starts off and you add an abandoned lamp location lamp cellar who who opens a lamp shop in the middle of i'm gonna go with new york or los angeles one of those two places because all the films take place there i just can't imagine it being open long enough to to a cur inventory and a lamp that's never been rubbed.
1: Right, and I think it's funny how when you first see the lamp, you hear him inside, like, "Oh, ah! it's as if he <laughs> even if he's like, what? What is a genie exactly? Is it like a gaseous? Is it, a, is it fumes? Is it? Is it actually a? It's not a little person like the way it was in uh, was it? I Dream of Genie, you know, like where she was just a little person at the bottom and she expand big. Yeah, uh, he was like just like a mystical gas.
2: Yes, he's definitely a guess. So
1: he's making those sounds, so I don't know if he's waking up or he's like, oh, I'm too big for this lamp, ah.
2: Yeah, and you're never quite sure exactly how aware of he, uh, is he during his transitional period of Masters. Like, apparently he's aware that years are passing by, so I can't help but feel that he'd go insane after a while. Yeah.
1: That actually would have been a more interesting movie if he came out and he was completely bonkers. Not in a digin way, like Wishmaster, like just yeah. insane, like from Cabin Fever.
2: Oh, Cabin Fever. But <laughs> then there's the whole point of uh, where, where did he start developing his desire to rhyme? Is that a demonic rhyme scheme, or has he always secretly just listening to rap wherever he's at?
1: Yeah, I mean, can he hear the outside world while trapped in that bottle? Like, did he hear someone playing hip-hop, and he's like, oh, what is that? What is that out there? I hear something. It would have been a lot more awkward. Okay, what if, say, his character had heard Thrash? Like, instead of hip-hop, he really got, like, into Metallica and Megadeth, and then Shaquille and Neil went up there playing Death Metal.
2: Yeah, yeah. That, that would have been, been interesting. <laughs> uh, to be fair, though, we were never really explained why he was a seven-foot-tall black man, uh, that forgot his accent every now and again, or even had an accent to begin with and kept going in and out of it, there was never really call for that or explanation for that. Maybe he just adapted to his surroundings, and being stuck in that boombox, he just spent like five years listening to pop radio at the time.
1: Was <laughs> uh, The kid, okay, so we were both discussing the fact that we thought this was the kid from Sandlot, at least I thought, yeah, yeah well, I don't remember his name, but, uh, he played Squints in Sandline. It was later on Freaks and Geeks. I, for years, thought it was the same exact kid, but of course, if you look now at the timeline, there's no way. Cause this was like three and a half years after Sandline. He would have been much older. Yeah, no,
2: I'm I'm with you. I, I looked at that. I'm like, I know that name. I've seen it somewhere. I eventually gave up. IMDb'd it, and he played Weevil on uh, Veronica Mars, and my mind was blown because... That kid grew up to look completely different. Yeah, completely.
1: Shaved his head, you know, it put on a lot of muscle. What is that? What is the actor's name? Uh,
2: Frank Capra, I believe.
1: Frank Capra, okay, so I'm confusing him with Chauncey Leopardi. All right, now they got the two separate. I'm sure I'll forget the second this episode's over and <laughs> yeah. confused again.
2: Yeah, until we watched uh, Free Willy 2, because apparently he appears in that, which I have to say I watched it. It wasn't good, but I watched it. Yeah, I
1: never uh, watched Free Willy. I never saw the sequels, though. No, you're not missing out. Um. You know, and of course, uh, the kid has his own villains. He has, yeah. you know, the, I don't even know what to explain. I look at the kids. They don't seem like kids. They seem like bad comic book drawings. Like, like you, you know, the main villain, the one that wants the, you know, wants to beat up the kid, chase them through the building and everything. Every time I look at him, I go, okay, I know CGI wasn't that good back then. But that kid does not look real. Like, I don't know if they added makeup to him to make him look even grosser or what, but it's unnatural. Yeah.
2: I'm going to have to go uh, with, uh, yeah, absolutely that's the case. Though, I, we're bashing on it a lot, but I like some of the base imagery and concepts of the movie. Like, they have this dirty kid who's filthy, has this crooked tooth that they keep focusing on. They have this, uh, uh, what, uh, new introduction to his life. His mother is bringing in a boyfriend who she's getting engaged to, who is a literal uh, fireman. I mean... In, what more could you want from a heroic-type character other than a fireman? And he's not doing so well, meets his father. Like, it's all very clear-cut imagery of, like, Dad's a scumbag, but deserves a second chance. And a new dad is a great guy, but you don't really see it. Like, the formula is all there, and it's kind of interesting seeing that as a kid's flick, but not a kid's flick.
1: Yeah, his story is infinitely more interesting
2: than Shaquille O'Neal's. Which... There's a story there, but all you really get is Shaquille O'Neal's story. You don't get Kazam's story, and yeah. it kind of just takes away from it, really.
1: The one thing that um, surprised me about the movie is that kid, when he when he first discovers the boombox, the magical boombox, he's being chased by the bullies, and he goes through, and he's in this decrepit, falling-apart building, and he proceeds to fall through four floors without really any energy whatsoever. I mean, he just <laughs> smashes hard.
2: Like, yeah, I'm... I'm going to go with Home Alone magic. Yeah. I mean, there's just a amount of damage that's being done that they really don't account for.
1: Yeah, and I guess the main plot is the fact that his dad's in the music industry. He is bootlegging concerts and Apparently. selling them off. And that's really low level <laughs> a crime. So I was like, well, yeah, I guess you could forgive a dad for doing something like that. Because that's kind of oh. normal now. People just record stuff on their phones yeah like yeah friend. and he's just trying to get it back okay here's the part so you ever notice what sometimes when you watch a movie, you're not completely absorbed in it, even though you're supposed to be for like stuff like this yeah you find your mind wandering off you're on your phone you go get something to eat um and you just let the movie run and you come back and all of a sudden there's a villain <laughs> who is the villain all of a sudden it just oh. came out of nowhere is he a Dijin or is he just a guy who wants to control the genie
2: He's just a guy who has heard stories of genies and recognizes signs and what have you because Shaquille O'Neal's character, Kazam, isn't really hiding the fact. He's constantly making references and jokes about – he's like, yeah, you know, 5,000 years ago. I mean I've heard a couple of stories about times ago. He's like he's just doing a terrible job of hiding who he is. Uh, What gets to me though is that uh, I'm a huge How I Met Your Mother fan. I know a lot of people don't like the the series, but I do. And the fact that the main villain is the taxi cab driver, Ron G, just drives me mad every time I watch this now because I was like, holy crap, I don't, I can't believe it's him. I wonder, I wonder what else he's been in.
1: Yeah, I, a lot of character actors like that, they kind of bounce in and out for years before you really latch on to what you know them from, and then you go back like, oh my god, I didn't realize he was in all of this stuff.
2: Yeah, um, Mark Shepard, uh, pretty much every geek movie you ever watch, is like, I can't believe I haven't noticed this guy appears in just about every single TV series I've ever enjoyed in my life wow
1: Mark firefly?
2: um he appears in firefly leverage uh, he's currently like a character in supernatural okay, i believe okay. but yeah. yeah he just he just constantly pops up everywhere
1: um you know so i, I don't know if that's better I, w- I think i would prefer to be a character actor as long as you've got consistent work that way you know at, at worst you'll get like what do i know you from tell me what you're from and you know and then you just go well, i'm from hell
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then they run away um it, it, would you like that, or would you rather be a celebrity where people are constantly like, oh, what's he up to today? You get no privacy. We're going to take pictures of everything. <laughs>
2: true, true, yeah. There, there, there's, there's, there's plus and minus to it. Anyways, let's, uh, let's go into the next movie, uh, Steel. Okay,
1: Steel. Uh, that, this is basically Shaquille O'Neal's last shot at being a star. I was looking at the budgets for both movies. Shazam costs $20 million. Steel costs $16 million. But uh, one was shot in Canada, the more expensive one, and Steel was shot in America. And I'm very confused because Steel actually looks like it has some decent money behind it. For the most
2: yeah. part, I agree with you. I mean, other than repetitive CG, which uh, I imagine they just kept using the same uh, yeah. basically imagery for certain things, uh, I I think there was actually more computer generated things in Kazam. Which is probably where all the money was, because computer generation was crazy expensive back then.
1: Right, because most of Kazam looks like it's on like just a warehouse. Most of it's yeah. shot on set, but you know they get a lot of lot going on in Steel outside and lots of action pieces. Okay, so I will say this first: I enjoyed Steel, and second, I'll say it is not a good movie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> those are those are two very important things when discussing these uh, these terrible movies. I'm with you, and I also love the fact that a steel is basically every nerd's dream, where you get to make a movie about your own personal favorite superhero, yeah. which you know, Shaq does a really good job of representing the fact that he has a steel tattoo on his arm, it's constantly like popping up, and people that know his character know that Shaq is a huge steel fan, has his own steel hummer, all that noise, full mile. I, I don't doubt that he has that entire costume framed up somewhere in his bedroom. Yeah. Um, if not, so constantly people, in use.
1: Yeah, so for people who don't know, cause, uh, is the character even used anymore in the DC universe, or is he kind of like off in uh, some other world right now, like not not being used?
2: John Henry pops up every now and again. He resumed his steel mantle for a while, I want to say like six, seven years ago. You don't see him as often as you used to, just because he's primarily just a inventor, creator, business owner now, rather than a hero, because okay. you know, it's just More lucrative, I guess. I don't know. There's enough superheroes out there. But uh, it was interesting seeing Shaquille O'Neal play everyday John Henry, who John Henry is a smart person, like a super genius, and Shaquille O'Neal, not so much.
1: Right. Um, To bring it back for one minute, uh, Steel is a character that came out of the fact that Superman died. Uh, They introduced four new characters that were kind of connected to Superman in one way or another. And Steel was probably the most popular of the four characters. Superboy had kind of a call following, but it was Steel that really broke out. So at the time this movie was made, it made sense, because he had this huge following, and it was about time that they introduced a black superhero. Really. I mean, I know Blade would come a year later, but this was perfect timing. The only problem with it is, is that Warner Brothers was in a weird flux, where they didn't really respect their comics. Like, Batman and Robin had come out a few months earlier than Steel, and yeah. stank up the joint. They were working on Superman with Nicolas Cage and uh, uh, Tim Burton. Which, yeah, yeah. Well, thankfully, that did
2: never happen. That never. <laughs> <laughs> no one saw pictures of that until ten years later. <laughs> yeah, and then
1: Steel is a much lower budget. I mean, sixteen million isn't much when it comes to a superhero movie. That's borderline TV movie quality. But yeah, Quincy Jones putting it together. Who does? It's a good soundtrack. I really enjoyed the soundtrack and the way that they put everything together. At least Kenneth Johnson. Um, who came from television, he created V. You remember that TV show
2: V?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: And he created that. He created the Incredible Hulk TV show, uh, Bionic Woman, and Alien Nation. Then he went to do Short Circuit 2, and then mm. Steel. So I'm going to say on the movie front, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he he has a lot of action going on. He keeps things interesting. The only problem is, is, I don't know if it was a studio mandate, he plays it over the top. Everything is way over the top. Oh Except yeah. Oh, yeah. for... Shaquille O'Neal's acting <laughs>
0: he acts with his eyebrows
1: and when you he, when he like you said he's a weapons developer he's supposed to be a smart guy I don't buy a second of it
2: no no the, the only thing that I actually bought during that was the fact that he could not make a free throw show for the life of him yeah
1: that was hilarious yeah and it had to fit a basketball joke in
2: you know it's just the, the longest the, grenade in history the, the climax of the movie Is literally him in a room with a grenade inside, and he has to shoot it through a small little hole, and we're all just like, oh, gee, they're all going to die.
1: It's like, I can't make these. (laughs) I love the fact that uh, Richard Roundtree is, like, what, his uncle?
2: Yeah, yeah. Developed
1: a bunch of the stuff for him, and he's like, when he shows him the hammer, he goes, oh, I'm really proud of that shaft. And they both look (laughs) at go, what?
2: Well, that was kind of cool. That's uh, going back to strong black... Uh, role models of heroic type nature, and the fact that they had the original shaft come out and sort of pass the torch, kind of.
1: Um, Annabeth Gish, she yeah. is the heroine who gets hurt really bad in the very beginning of the movie. She's crippled. She mm-hmm. just becomes his Barbara Gordon of sorts. You know, technology yeah, yeah. wizard helps design all these weapons. Is there a romance going on there? Because I feel like there was. They just didn't have the guts
2: to say it. Uh, there was an angle of romance that at no point did you really feel that there was an angle of romance other than just, like, really awkward eyebrow movements and, like, Long odd stairs. demeanors. Although, once again, I, I was really amused by the clear imagery of, uh, so she gets crippled in an accident regarding weapons, which makes, uh, John Henry Steele quit his job in the military. So she's at a, uh, institute for PTSD or soldiers or injured soldiers I can't tell the exact details uh-huh. but the windows are apparently locked for some reason and John Henry comes in and says y'all need to get out of here and basically just breaks down the window and a literal breath of fresh air wakes <laughs> yeah. her up and tells her I need to get out of here the
1: movie is not subtle it's definitely mm-hmm. aimed at kid mentality but there's no ambiguity whatsoever yeah yeah Now, he's not super strength, but yet so many times in the movie they treat him as if he was beyond just, I know Shaq's a big, strong guy, but come on. Some of that stuff's like, no, no.
2: Yeah, yeah. though I like the fact that they did play on the fact that his entire suit was made out of steel, basically, or steel alloy he was developing. They never really go too deep into that. Yeah. But uh, he's overheating in it the entire time. Uh Uh-huh. So the fact that they kept his face half shown like Batman was kind of weird because the reason he made this suit was so he wouldn't be able to get shot or hit with his whatever weapons that he made. Had a bullet gone into his faceplate, it would have bounced around in his skull and his suit and it would have killed him absolutely.
1: Oh yeah, that part where they're opening fire on him he just kind of stands there like wiping off his nails. Like, yeah. oh, this doesn't how Are you guys done yet? I'm not, was like, this is, this is
2: awesome. This is hilarious. Like, no man, cover your face because if one gets inside, you're dead. <laughs> I was like, what if they shoot you in the
1: head? Yeah. Uh, I love the gadgets. I love the motorcycle, but with him, it looks like a little toy. What do they call those things? The crotch rockets? Right. Yeah,
2: yeah, the little mini bikes or whatever. Yeah, yeah.
1: On him, it looks so diminutive. You're like, oh, you chose too small of a bike. He'll <laughs> You're not going to go any faster. You're huge.
2: Or the fact that no one was able to figure out who he was until someone made a random phone call. It's like, yeah, there's a seven-foot-tall superhero walking around town. Oh, John Henry just came back. Oh, you mean that seven-foot-tall guy, the only one in the area or the town or the city? Oh, <laughs> weird. Strange. What are the chances? <laughs> Does nobody want to follow him back to his home? like, no, 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 he's a good boy. We like him.
1: <laughs> yeah, And, of course, John Delson, his last gasp at like, movie stardom comes in, phones in his appearance, and then... <laughs> Uh, I can't blame him. There's not a lot for him to do. He's just basically the scene-chewing villain. Uh, Who is There is an actor in there who is like his sidekick with the gold teeth and the eye patch. I see see him from time... I've seen him here and there, but I can't remember his name. I have no idea
2: who that is, too, honestly.
1: I just remembered. But he is so insanely over-the-top. Okay, so what I felt like in all the scenes with his character and his little gang is the fact that uh, it was obviously a white person was trying to write hip. Like, oh, how do black kids talk these days? Uh, I'll throw in all these like random lingo at half, but I'm sure it's complete nonsense.
2: Oh, man, you know, I'm with you. It's it's, it's kind of like watching uh, what, what, Robert Townsend's Meteor Man all over again. It's like, I don't know if you really know the lingo you're using in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I, Do you recommend either one of these? I recommend watching at least Steel once just to watch it because it's a bad movie, but it's one of those ones where you have to watch. Yeah, well, it's, um, like a, it's a nerd requirement that you see every comic book movie made, period. And it's it's a good nerd story because it, it really is the dream. It's about this odd little kid who grows up, becomes a basketball star, makes enough money, does the movie of his dreams. I I personally think that the whole... Reasoning behind all of this is that this is actually Shaq's three wishes. His first wish was he wanted to be a rapper, and so they put him in Kazam so he could rap. And his second wish was he wanted to be a superhero, and so they put him in Steel so he could be a superhero. And people are going to wonder what his third wish is. Well, his third wish is he wishes he was smart, and so he got a doctorate in business. No kidding, really? Yeah, he's Dr. O'Neill. He got his doctorate in 2012, I think, Um, uh, after he realized he's spending all of his money on dumb stuff. He needs to learn how to spend his money wisely.
1: It's a funny. Is uh, There's an article I read recently that he is getting no, uh, more endorsements now than he did when he was a
2: superstar. Oh, yeah. He's, uh, he's just being smart about his money and making good appearances. I mean – like I said, the reason why he got his doctorate was he realized he was throwing all of his money away on dumb things like steel memorabilia, the, the steel shack mobile I was talking about earlier, the Humvee. Yeah. And he looked at himself and like, where's all my money going? And so I can't remember who told him exactly, but someone said, you need to you need to get an education because you need to know what you're doing with all this money you have. And so he got a doctorate in business, and he has money spread out in several different companies and mutual funds. He owns a couple of Five Guy Burger and Fries who have been popping up now and again. Um... Yeah, third wish came true. We got a little smarter.
1: Yeah, that's the most impressive. Plus the fact that he's never embarrassed himself. Eventually, these huge stars always have some sort of scandal. Even the biggest always have something like, oh, that's not, you might want to erase that from your history. Do not put that on his uh, Wikipedia. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I I just, uh, it's impressive. And he is a really good um, hero to kids. And I'm not just saying African-American kids. Uh, just all children how to handle your success and if you do screw up how to fix it the right way
2: yeah yeah you know just that that whole moral of if you get lucky if you get that shot live your life but make sure you don't follow you know fall down at the end of it yeah
1: i think that's about it for me on this one
2: yeah no uh i'm i'm pretty much done too you know just Surprising things about Shag, him being a goofball, and suddenly, oh, nope, sorry, he's, he's, he has doctorate. He's Dr. O'Neil now. Surprise. Yeah, so the, you know,
1: we do double features every time, and we usually try to find something that's either trashy, uh, guilty pleasure, something that was like a complete train wreck, or movies that we think are underrated but perceived as trash. And this is a weird place where I think a lot of people crapped on these movies. I can't recommend Kazam, but... <laughs> but steel should not have been dumped it was dumped on like 700 screens in the middle of summer with no promotion whatsoever and it's kind of a shame because i will actually say this it is a better movie than batman and robin
2: yeah yeah and you know i'm gonna go ahead and say that uh, you didn't have bat nipples so that, that's advantage to steel
1: yep and there you go if you're gonna balance it out it's there's no there's no steel nipples that's it <laughs> all right so i figured right now um I was gonna play a, a clip from his one little hit song. Shaquille O'Neal was part of a group for a very brief moment called the Foushnikans. Do you remember the song "What's Up, Doc"?
2: Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> let's 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 take that right back. All right, let's
1: play a little bit of this, and then uh, I, I guess I'm signing off. Tony, what's going on? Alright, so I'm gonna go ahead and admit to you people that this is the second time we actually did this episode. We got five minutes into it and I forgot. I didn't press record. <laughs> so hopefully this doesn't seem stale for us by doing this again. <laughs> Alright, my apologies to Tony. Um so the first movie we're gonna discuss is Red Line. Well, Technically, I'm not sure it's a movie. It's kind of a work it's,
2: movie. It's, it's really a love letter to a guy for himself about himself.
1: Basically, yeah. We were talking about it in the first time round. The guy who produced this movie, uh, he has a third-grade education, and somehow he finagled a deal with these huge banks for like billions and billions of dollars to uh, set up this whole subprime mortgage thing, ended up making like $5 million a month, taking all this money, gambling most of it away but he had a huge car collection. How do you use your car collection to make some of that money back from your gambling? Oh, you make a movie. And that movie bombs. That movie is terrible.
2: You you crashed three cars making this movie.
1: Yes. And, in fact, uh, he is now bankrupt. So you said, like, in the movie, there's a character who's broke. And it's kind of, yeah, you're right. He's making a movie about himself.
2: Yeah, no, there's a, there's a couple of characters in this movie that, somehow tied to each other, but are irrelevant for the entirety of the movie because they don't matter at all towards the end of it. But the, the third character introduced is a movie producer who is making a movie, and spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, he wins a ton of money on the race that he bets on, which really is just a big giant Mary Sue for himself, and yeah. it gives me a little personal pleasure to know that the guy who made a movie about himself, who gets rich, is flat broke right now. <laughs>
1: it's a prophetic basically. You know, the funny thing is this movie cost $26 million. You do not see this movie on the screen. The biggest star they had was Eddie Griffin. What? He's maybe, at best, half a
2: million. Where did this money go? You know, I, I, I'm going to go with Hooker and Blow. I'm going to go with it went exactly <laughs> where the characters spent their money, off screen and doing weird things.
1: I wonder if those guns and drugs were actual guns and drugs that the producer <laughs> owned. Uh, I don't want to get litigious here, so hopefully he's not listening to this, but I seriously doubt that he can even afford the internet right now. Yeah, so the movie is like It's Eddie Griffith, Tim Matheson Angus McFadden are the only names Or the only people you even recognize The rest of them are just I'm not even sure they're considered actors Nathan Phillips was in Snakes on a Plane That's the best he ever had Yeah. And I noticed, it's funny We're supposed to believe he's this tough guy Ex-military hero, but it's very hard To listen to him talk Because he talks as if he's one of the characters From Little Rascals
2: You ever notice that? Like He talks like a little boy
1: and it's like, oh, yeah. nope, not buying yeah. it.
2: It's, it's kind of odd, and every sequence that he's actually appearing in seems very unnatural. Like he's absolutely no, no clue what's going on, no idea what's going on around him.
1: And the one person who probably does know what's going on is the lead actress, who's actually the uh, girlfriend of the producer at that time. And he was trying to elevate her success beyond just being a soap opera actress.
2: Nope, no.
1: I'm surprised she's even a soap opera actress. She is not good at
2: anything. No, no, she really isn't. She, she isn't that great of a singer, and she isn't that great of an actor. Uh, but she is kind of pretty. I'll give her yeah, that. She's pretty.
1: I'll give, yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, you know, uh, Eddie Griffin's character, he, he acts like she's the greatest musician he has ever heard. Like, he's fascinated by her. And at best, she's like, uh, oh, they're the equivalent of, like, your local bar band. There's no way they're going to be the number one success in the country. There's no Black Eyed Peas there. Those are (laughs) just uh, oh, five bucks to see them? Uh, Sure, that's the most I'll spend.
2: So to, to give our audience a rough idea of how this movie goes, it progresses incredibly awkward through random strings of events that have nothing to do with each other to get to the end of the movie where you find out that one random guy owes some other people money that you don't know who they are or why or what the scheme is. And the side dude is in love with the main girl for no particular reason other than she thought she was kind of cute uh and the big bad guy uh, wants the main girl for no particular reason other than the fact that she thinks or he thinks she's kind of cute
1: yeah we need no real plot in fact i don't think there is a plot what i think it was was one day someone wrote an outline and goes "Eh, we're good but it's only 20 pages Eh, we'll we'll fill the rest we'll just throw in car races and explosions and uh, like you were saying uh, the car racing isn't really technical at all. It, there's no real specific uh, specifications. If you are a car geek, you got nothing to feed off here.
2: Yeah, no, they explained everything with one simple answer, and that's the uh, the fact that you know, other than the fact that the cars are tuned for you know speed, which you don't know how they're tuned, what they've been done to, you just hear the main female actress say. That the car is only as fast as the driver so suddenly the cars are irrelevant regardless of whatever cars you see right. in the movie they're all equally fast and equally as good it's the drivers that make the big difference
1: it's as if they have some sort of symbiotic control over the car it's like yes this is a souped-up ford festiva and it's all based on the driver not a piece of crap car
2: yeah you know this you know this is a billion dollar car they can do you know a quarter mile in about four seconds but really it's the driver because you know but to take one thing back, there is a scene where they apply some physics, which I'm kind of amazed at, where for some reason, the guy in the Lamborghini, I think is what it was, I'm not sure, I couldn't tell, hits Naus, which is just kind of a weird thing to do in a European fast car, but he noses it up and is going so fast, apparently over 220 miles per hour, 240, and the car begins to lift at the front, which results in it flinging in the air and just flying away, basically. I was like, you know... I'm kind of surprised because in all those Fast Furious movies, where all these little tiny cookie cutter cars are hitting the nos and you know hitting some speed, uh, I think a good portion of them just flown off into space. <laughs> oh,
1: that, yeah, that kind of destroyed the franchise. Well, everybody's dead again.
2: Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, there's no downforce in this car. There was, it was a little bit lifted, and yeah, it just flew into, it flew into the air. I mean, it's not like it was built to be heavy.
1: Yeah, and this, uh, some of the car racing's fine, but it, it looks like uh, the only thing they had going for, I bet you, the director went out and hired a whole different crew that was used to filming this kind of stuff because he doesn't show the same talent when he's shooting uh, people talking, acting, attempting acting, the way he does the car scene. So I'm assuming it's probably a second unit kind of thing.
2: Probably. Although I was very amused by one of the bigger car crashes that occurs um, is when they're doing a Fast and Furious driving underneath a truck. One person succeeds, the other person fails and for some reason flies into the air. Because the top of his car got pounded downwards by a truck. I have no explanation for that. Yeah. But the vehicles he flies into are empty. And, like, they do a, a pan-by. They don't even digitally edit anything. What? They're just four empty cars. Uh, and then they crash. And then suddenly, like, six people start running out of the cars. No. And uh, you're left going, wait, 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 wait,
1: <laughs> That's shoddy filmmaking right there. Yeah, I. It's one of those movies that uh, is so forgettable. Like I said, I have amnesia. And I just watched the movie. Uh... I, it's just ridiculous that you had – I had to go back to Wikipedia to even get like a follow-up. It's like, oh, that's right. Those actors were in it. That's, that's right. That's what happened. I forgot. You, know, you just remember like bits and pieces, and that's always a sign of a bad movie.
2: Yeah, no, there's, there's not a single person you care about. There's no storyline to follow any line of thought. They keep introducing new characters where they'll have a random flashback to make them relevant, but you still have no idea how they're relevant. Like the main character, the girl, her dad is killed in an accident apparently – and the guy that caused the crash in the rally race accident is racing her in the final scene, and he dies randomly. And you are supposed to feel like something was accomplished here, but really, you don't care about any of these characters.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a one of those movies that just feels like uh, nothing is filled in. It's just like I said, it's just an outline. Uh, it, 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 I can't even call it technically a movie. Yes, it's it's 85 minutes long. It uh, has a beginning and end. That's it. <laughs> And
2: one last beef with this movie real fast. At the very end of it, for some god-awful reason, the two main characters uh, get fast cars at the end, and they race for oh, no yeah, reason you know at what? all. I
1: remember that, and I didn't understand what the point was. Like, what, what, What's the context here?
2: Is yeah, this... I, I, we both know that the girl was a fast racer, but the dude, to the best of our knowledge, went off, joined the military for 40 years, came back, killed a bunch of people, used C4 Explosive, to blow up a gate, like this is a block of C4, which a block of C4 can blow up a house. You blow up a <laughs> gate and a lamppost with two blocks of C4. I can't begin to explain how wrong that is.
1: <laughs> the fact that he's even alive. Uh, do we even know he has a license? We're assuming he knows how to drive. You know, yeah, he's so he's young that I just assumed he went straight to the military and never even bothered to get a license.
2: Or something, but yeah, it's ridiculous. It was, they, they had no idea what they were doing. He was just basically honking his own horn that entire movie. <laughs>
1: All right, so that's Redline us. Now for the big
2: epic disaster, Speed Racer. You know, they called this movie Speed Racer, and yes, Speed Racer and his family was in it, but if you really want to know what this movie is, it's Hot Wheels, the movie. Oh, it totally is.
1: I thought I was watching a racetrack and watching little cars spin on it. it. It feels like an animated movie, so I'm not sure how to feel about this. The Wachowski brothers are probably <clears throat> the most frustrating Actually, are they even called the Wachowski brothers now? They're just called the Wachowskis, right? Because one of them's now switched over?
2: I think or something. I have no idea. Uh,
1: Speed Racer, it it plays like a low-budget animated movie. The kind of thing that you would see um, direct-to-video. Like, oh, Hot Wheels of Movies, On the Shelf at Target, Premiere, woo! That's the kind of way the special effects look most of the time. But then you have real actors, decent named actors, and a lot of action going on. And it's like the directors didn't know what they we're doing i call it a candy-coated nightmare that's the only way i can really reference the movie It's just it seems like a mess
2: yeah if you were to take uh, wreck it ralph and jam those racing sequences into the movie uh let's say fast and furious one there's racing going on and there's some really cartoony stuff going on so if you're a fan of the first and second scooby-doo movies live action ones you'll enjoy this right but if. But if you can't cross that border of this isn't a real movie, this is just a really long live-action cartoon, you're going to despise yourself for even looking at the cover.
1: Okay, so the first time I watched this, I was in misery the whole time. In fact, I'm not even sure I finished it. Now, I watched it all this time, and I remember 15 minutes into this texting you going, oh, I remember what I hated about this movie so much. But I finished it, and you know what? There are a few things here and there that I do like. Um, I hate the fact that the action sequences are – um, just they're a confusing mess to the point where I was actually getting kind of like vertigo and nausea from like this yeah, constant spinning. Yeah. I'm like, I, I, who's who? And right. uh, but I did like the humans. I, I would watch an entire movie with that little boy and his monkey. Those right? two together were the best part. If you gave them their own spin off, I'd be like, I'm down.
2: But yeah, the rest, no, I, the, the, the boy, the monkey, and John Goodman. Like I, I liked his character the entire time, especially when he was in combat. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, he's great, and you know Emil Hirsch. He's not a bad actor. I'm never going to say he's a terrible actor, but this feels like the wrong role for him. It doesn't seem like something that uh, is up his uh, – well, what's the word I want to say? Up his creek? I, now I can't even think of a word. Uh, wheelhouse? Uh, I'm uh, stupid. I'm <laughs> going to go with
2: Allie for this one. All then.
1: right. Uh, I hate when words, like obvious words, everyday words, like just completely like go by. I can't, wait, 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 hold on. And then I, I got nothing.
2: And that's why you have to just wing it and say, you know, up his Banana hammock, something <laughs> comfortable, but not really as comfortable at all. We'll just go with
1: that. <laughs> uh, you know, Matthew Fox isn't bad, but it's uh, if you had never seen Speed Racer, which at the time I had never seen the cartoon, I just started watching um, it recently. And uh, hint, hint, everybody, we're going to be doing an episode of Back in Tunes this week with Speed Racer in pole position.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you have to watch the cartoon to watch this movie. Otherwise, it's it's just going to left field you the entire time.
1: But it was so obvious from the get-go that Matthew Fox was his brother. It was, like, the most obvious. Like, are we supposed to be surprised? I don't know what's going You know, it just seems so insanely obvious.
2: Yeah, and that's kind of they, – they did a lot of throwbacks to the cartoon specifically, and that was one of those ones that was so obvious in the cartoons that everyone was just clear about that. And so – uh, they did similar things in this too, where they just flat out, like, you know, we're just going to go with that same scheme of this is going to be so blatantly obvious that we're not even going to try to hide this fact. We're just going to make it so that the main character is too dumb to figure out one plus one is two.
1: You know, and I do like the fact that it takes a stance against selling out to the man, the corporations, yeah. the corrupt corporations. That was actually pretty cool, considering it's it's pretty much a kids' movie. That's kind of high minded for this kind of thing. I don't was that even it, in the cartoon? Did they tackle corporate?
2: I don't that? think so. No, I think that's something that was kind of interjected into this because that wasn't a huge part of the cartoons that I recall.
1: And uh, uh, who's the villain? He's like I, he's a character actor you always see in like British stuff, but uh, man, oh. he gobbles up the scenery. He doesn't chew it; he swallows it whole.
2: Yeah, no, he he uh, he is definitely just stealing the show for his role. He played he played a great villain. Like I liked the way that they brought him in, where he was your everyday friendly, lovely gentlemen and just turn around on you like wow this is a good peak in the industry right here
1: yeah i mean the reason it's a mess is like a the, the point of the movie is the chase sequences nobody goes to these movies to see people sit in a room and talk they yeah. go to watch the car chase sequences and they're a uh, headache inducing they're just a gobbledygook of random stuff th- stuff flying to the screen
2: was this movie in 3d i don't think so i think this is before the advent of 3d if it was in 3 I don't know if things would have been okay for people at the end no, of it. No, I think heads would have exploded in the theaters. Like, I, don't know. <laughs> I mean, imagine Michael Bay's Transformers, where it's just a bunch of metal rolling around everywhere. You really don't know what's going on half the time. You just you just kind of look for colors and assume that they belong to the right people. Yeah, you know,
1: I've, uh, I've said this about the Transformer movies. Um, I can't tell who is who. When they're fighting, it's just a mess. And I go, you know what? The only real Transformers movie is a 1986 animated one. We're good. Mm-hmm. I'm out.
2: You know, and and there was a reason why they made a big giant blocks of colors, because if they were all just pieces of metal that collided against each other, you literally can't tell who belongs to who. It's just twisted metal on each other.
1: And why is it so long? It's so insanely long. It's like two and a half hours of nonsense. I'm like, this could have been easily
2: 90 minutes. It, It was it was clearly three to four episodes jammed into one. It's very episodic. It's clear when one episode ends and the next one starts up. Um. But, uh, I am a little saddened by the fact that they don't explain his ability to, so I'm going to go ahead and let you guys know, if, if you like physics, don't watch this movie, it will make you <laughs> cringe the entire time. But, uh, the entire time he's flipping his car and doing flips and backflips and front flips and like horizontal turns and midair. And for some reason his car is leveling out where everybody else is flipping around and just dying or, you know, getting ejected into these safety bubbles, but, uh, they don't explain it at any point. Any method of controlling his, his his jacks his auto auto jacks, which is what launches the car upwards. Right. He just hits a button and they go, and he just happens to flip the way that he wants to.
1: Yeah, it's ridiculous. And how is he not throwing up by the end? He does so many flips that like I can't tell which way is <laughs> up. You know, I gotta pull and, over.
2: And and the drifting, the non stop drifting. You know, it's like you know there's there's certain instances where you know rally racing, you're drifting. Uh, it's very popular in Japan, but. For an American movie and an American movie based on an American cartoon, a whole lot of drifting for a lot of people that don't actually like drifting. Yeah. And technically, scientifically, drifting is generally bad on a racetrack. You know, the
1: thing that – okay, so the first Matrix is amazing. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Wachowski brothers, they only had so much budget to get their idea across. So they had to like kind of edit and hold back. And what they had, they had to make really, really good. Yeah. And then it was a huge success, and after that, everything they've done has been this overblown nonsense where like, oh, we could edit this out, oh edit that out, that is way too much CGI, that looks like crap. Somebody yeah. needs to—they're the Will Ferrell of directors, where somebody just won't come in and go, hold on, guys, you got to cut <laughs> some of this stuff.
2: Let's back up a little bit. And I also want to point out that I'm a huge Christina Ricci fan, and the fact that Christina Ricci, just a year or two prior, did Stake Moan, and then comes on to do this movie <laughs> no. as, as Trixie, the main female interest, is hilarious. Because she plays her role like Wednesday Adams. I kid you not.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not even sure she's appropriately cast
2: for the role. Did you feel like she was good for it? She has the look and the face. But for the way that Trixie is as a character compared to Christina Ricci, it was really odd. Because, you know, like I said, she approached like she would Wednesday Addams and it was hilarious, I enjoyed it, but wrong for the character entirely.
1: Yeah, they actually offered it to uh, the girl from 24, you know, the blonde girl? Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah, and then I guess there was a scheduling issue, so she couldn't do it because the shoot was so long that it was going to go into whatever she was working on next. And yeah. they actually offered it to Joseph Gordon-Levitt before Emile Hirsch, and he turned it down too. Man, just imagine where his career had gone if this had dragged him down. They, it would be a shame.
2: True, true. Yeah, but Despite... Despite all the hate, you know, like, I was a huge Speed Racer fan as a kid, and seeing all the the touchbacks and throwbacks, like, I couldn't help but enjoy it personally. Not enjoy it because it was a good movie, but enjoy it because it really was Speed Racer coming back to you again.
1: Yeah, you know, and like I said, the first time, I couldn't get through it. The second time, you know, if you block out a lot of those headache-inducing chase sequences, I really like some of the the scenes with the family. The family is really... tight you know and, and it's all about like them sticking together having each other's back and that's not a thing you really see in movies anymore no. so i thought that was a strong message for kids
2: yeah and, and the fact that you got to see the kid be a kid i mean you know he, he defied his pops every now and again and he was childish and ate candy and you know watched cartoons or anime in this particular instance but uh like, he was also kind of the innocent core of the group and yeah. he also had Aspects that was like his brother who wanted to be like his brother, right? So it impulsive. was cool seeing that,
1: yeah. Impulsive, kind of a uh, fancy free kind of behavior. The sequence yeah. where him and the monkey are doing the kung fu thing together, yeah. and flying yeah. across that is what it's like being in the head of a child. And somehow they got that right. And so few movies do. Mm-hmm. That's why I, <laughs> I wish that we had just been a little more successful because I would love to see like at least a director video spinoff of those two just goofing around,
2: yeah, right. You know, and hey, you know, we forgot to mention Susan Sarandon's the mom. I was like, really? Could you have a better mom? Yeah. Okay. Did they? Uh, this is the one thing that confused me.
1: Uh, John Goodman and Susan Sarandon are roughly sixty at this point.
2: Yeah, uh, bro. And
1: uh, did they decide to have kids really late and they have them like ten years apart? Matthew Fox looks nearly forty. Emil Hirsch looks about twenty-two, and the little boy is about eleven. That's a well, big gap.
2: It is, but you also have to apply the fact that this is based on what, like a seventies, eighties cartoon. And so they had that same aspect in that cartoon, and they were going to match up as much as possible. And even in that instance, it's kind of just you just have to accept the fact that there is an extra kid for some reason because they needed that character for the younger kids to really tie into. Yeah,
1: Maybe Matthew Fox was playing younger than he really was, but I just sat there going, man, they were patient, or they just weren't very successful at having children, which is a depressing yeah. thought.
0: <laughs>
2: I mean it's it's just like uh like the random you know Asian short round character in Karate Commando. You just have to have that young person in there, even though in no way at all possible would you have that young person in there.
1: Oh, that's dangerous. Or Mister T. It's like you're all fighting crime. That kid's eight. He shouldn't be fighting yeah. any sort of crime.
2: <laughs> right, Jackie Chan Adventures. You know, but at least in that aspect, they explain that she's the niece and that she actually just keeps running into it herself. Yeah. You know, she was she's never dragged into it. <laughs> I think that's it. What we have
1: for Red Line and Speed Racer. Any last words? Travel at your own peril. <laughs> you know it's funny. I should probably stop saying any last words because it always sounds like I'm going to kill my co-host afterwards. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for the support of the first three episodes. Check us out on Retro Rocket Entertainment and uh, let us know what you think we should do as a double feature. Uh, what were we talking about doing? Welcome, everybody, to Trash Cinema. I'm your host, Michael. My co-host, Jacob. Jacob, this episode we're going to be discussing two superhero movies just in time for the Avengers coming out next week. We're going to be discussing the 1990 Crap Fest Captain America, this, this butt waste of a movie. And we're going to be discussing Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was a TV movie technically. And uh, actually, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would, but we'll discuss that second. So, first off, we'll talk about the 1990 version of Captain America. You already, I can tell, have a headache. <laughs>
3: Yes, I know. Hold on. Let me do what uh, Chunk did uh, when he was confessing to the Fratelli's. I just lost 20
0: pounds.
1: (laughs) All right, so Captain America. Uh, So there were previous versions of Captain America. It was on TV. It had Red Brown. Those movies are awful. He didn't even have anywhere near what the suit's supposed to look like. He had a helmet. And a motorcycle yeah, it was a stupid bike helmet. And, and a see-through shield. So we didn't discuss those, even though those are insanely boring. This movie was insanely boring and at the same time insulting to the entire history of Captain America. So what was your initial problem with the movie?
3: Oh, gosh. Where do I start? I don't know where to start with that piece of crap at all. I Thankfully, I didn't watch the one in the 70s. I, I mean, I went straight to the 1991. At the beginning, I'm like, okay, so it's taking place in Italy. That's how it starts out. And all of a sudden, that's like, oh, that little kid becomes the Red Skull. That just seems so stupid. I was like, wait, the Red Skull was not, well, not an Italian little boy. He was German. He was a freaking Nazi yes, the entire that's, time. That's
1: the thing. Why is he Italian? Why is he an Italian fascist when he's supposed to be a German super warrior? That didn't make any sense. Plus, he has a nose, and his mask doesn't even look like a Red Skull. It looks more like he has a very bad skin. It's a really yes, it does. Greasy, he's got, waxy, like, gross-looking mess.
3: Yes, it is. It's just a giant sunburn with a couple scars. Oh, That's and, and it. yeah,
1: and the biggest sticking point is also the fact that uh, for most of the movie, he does not have that. He has like this weird, like, oh, you had a bad plastic surgery mishap. That doesn't look right. He doesn't have the red skull. He just has at all, no. Face. It's it's normal color.
3: I know, but I mean, I guess they tried to. I mean, throughout the rest of the movie, they just tried to make you know Red Skull a little bit more sympathetic, and you wanted people to feel sorry for him. I, I mean, I felt sorry for the entire movie, from production to cinematography to acting. Yeah, and oh gosh, music choices. When Steve Rogers, you know, he's looking up his old girlfriend at their house in California. Oh gosh, what was that? <laughs> I don't, the whole
1: thing just a, a bizarre mess. And then the makeup on his girlfriend from the '40s later. You just look at it going, oh wow, you can literally see the seams where it was pasted on. It was ridiculous. <laughs>
3: I know it's just so horrible. All right, so, and then her acting when she's like, I, "Yeah, I made it 16 yeah.
1: I feel so old." You know, the funny thing is, there is there are a few decent actors in this. Ned Beatty, who um I love. You know, oh yeah. Great uh, thing. Ronnie Cox is also awesome. You know, RoboCop, Citizen Cop. You know. Experience. Oh yeah. And Michael Nori. You know, these are three really good actors. Of course, they weren't A-listers, so they probably got them on the cheap. How much do you think the budget was on this?
3: Uh, I, a uh, hundred and ten <laughs> thousand <pretty> dollars <laughs> No, it and was. Plus,
1: it says it was ten million dollars. There's no way this cost ten million dollars. Uh, what I think it was is one of those. Uh, you ever hear about like these little companies like Millennium and uh, Franchise Pictures, where the movies say they cost like seventy million dollars, but you look at it and go, no, there's no yeah, there is no way. Someone smuggled some of that budget. There's no way that cost ten million dollars. Captain America looks like it cost about two and a half. And most of it was spent on the sequence where the, the shield is flying around.
3: Oh, I know. And even that looked horrible. I was like, what? And it kept cutting. Like, from this shot to the next shot, uh, especially when, like, Red, Red Skulls is, like, shooting a machine gun at him, and he's blocking with his shield. It kept shooting back and forth. The cinematography was a mess. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's an ugly, ugly
0: movie.
1: Um, it is. The one thing I will say is, I think the reason that Red Skull does become somewhat sympathetic is because the actor Scott Pollan, he's not a household name. He's kind of one of those like working actors. He had a bit, like a small moment where he was kind of a hot you know, rising star. He is a really good actor, stuck in a really thankless performance. So I'll say that, that uh, he does the best he can with what he's... Matt Salinger is pleasant. Uh, he's from uh, Revenge of the Nerds, correct?
3: Yeah, he played Burke.
1: Yeah, he's he's a pleasant actor, so he's a decent fit for Captain America. I wasn't irritated. It's just he doesn't have the power that you and leadership that you expect from.
3: Oh no, not at all. I didn't see that at all. If anything, St- the guy who played Stan Gable should have, would have had that power. <laughs> yes, he looked He looks. He honestly, I think he looked more perfect for Captain America than he well, than Burke did. He
1: had blonde hair. At no point, I mean, you can kind of see like a light hint of blonde. Michael Salinger's hair, or uh, I said his name wrong. Matt Salinger's hair. But he doesn't look yeah. like Captain America. And he is wearing a bodysuit, isn't he? He's wearing a puffy suit underneath the Captain America suit to make him look bigger. Cause oh, yeah. No, it's Bobby that obvious.
3: Match. I know. It's like, looking, it's like looking at Hans and Franz from uh, the SNL skit. Right? You want the wop? You up? <laughs> you know what kills me <laughs> is that
1: his ears, the Captain America uh, headpiece or whatever you want to call it, it has yeah. fake ears. Those are not his ears.
3: Oh, my gosh. I did not realize that until now. Oh, my God. <laughs> watch.
1: Watch. the very end of the movie, when he's tearing off his mask, they cut away, and you see the mask folded up around his neck, and you see his real ears, but you can see a sliver of his real ear, and then the wing. So, it's not like, wait, was that the wing, and I'm just seeing it wrong? No. You see the fake ear. It's ridiculous.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. I mean, like I said, they did get the classic suit right, I will say. I will yep. give them that. Uh, it, uh, but overall, yeah. And also... It not only took place in California, but it did look like it took place in Italy or, or Venice Beach. No, because, it was you know, shot, well, there's a little
1: bit of it shot in America, but most of it was shot in Yugoslavia. And that final action sequence is one of the dullest. It's just irritating. It's like there is no character. There's no set design. There's no real direction here. No emotion. Yeah, it's just, it's just oh, shoot, go, shoot, go, run, shoot, go, punch, punch, punch. It was the ugliest set piece, ug- uh, weakest action sequence I've ever seen to wrap up a
3: movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, the action choreographer, whoever's in charge of that, stunt coordinator, I just don't even think they knew what they were doing at all. Well, Albert Pugh
1: is the director, and he's kind of known for doing very quick, generic shoots. He did two decent movies when he first started. He did Sword and the Sorcerer, and then he did uh, Radioactive Dreams, really clever. And then he didn't make a movie for years, and then all of a sudden, uh, Cyborg. You know the movie Cyborg with uh, Van Damme?
3: Yeah, the one that was supposed to, that was intended to be a uh, Masters of the Universe sequel. Right,
1: Masters Universe Two, the cyborg was the the setup, and then um, Canon like really ran out of money after Masters of the Universe and Superman Four completely died and made no money for them. And then uh, yeah. they're like, "Well, we have the sets, Bill. What do you want to do with this?" And he's like, "Uh, give me five hundred thousand dollars and uh, give me Chuck Norris." Well, we can't afford Chuck Norris. All right, who do you have? Van Dam. I'll take Van Dam. And then they made cyborg. That made a lot of money for them, and therefore, after that, he just got to do whatever he wanted, and he just made a ton of these post-apocalyptic or uh, kung fu movies. But the one weird anomaly is Captain America, which acts like it's trying to be a real movie. It's one of his
3: in <laughs> It is. Oh, gosh. Oh. I remember
1: buying, there was a magazine for a short period of time called Comic Zone in 1989, it oh, yeah. was early 1990. I bought it because Batman was on the cover, and they said, We're going to give you all the scoop on Batman 2. Of course, they had nothing but speculation. But then they had a five page article on the Captain America movie, and it said it was coming out like that April. So I was like, Oh my God, that's like a month away. It never showed up. It never showed up. For years, it never showed up. And one day I just saw it at a video store. I was like, Holy shit, there it is! And I guess yeah, it came know. out in 95, 96, direct to video.
3: No surprise there. No surprise. After seeing what a piece of shit it is, no surprise. I mean, and honestly, like when it came... Oh, oh darn. I lost my train of thought. I'm no. sorry. Look what, it, look what it's doing to me. Look what this stupid movie did to me. My brain is rotting. <laughs> <laughs> it, it
1: was in theaters in Mexico, which makes me feel Oh, like my gosh. Maybe the, the company just hated Mexico. Why would you release a movie called Captain America in Mexico? That doesn't make sense.
3: Capitán Americano.
1: And they were probably like, "Oh, you deserve Matsuma's revenge, you jerks. This movie's terrible."
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame them if they did say that. Yeah, I don't blame them at all. I am I'm, I'm 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 with them. I'm with them. I stand with them if they decide to revolt just you know, because they, of that stupid movie. Look what it did. Still,
1: yeah, there's still some good movies out there that are not on DVD or Blu-ray, and yet for some reason, oh, this is on Blu-ray by a good company, Shout Factory. I I I don't, oh. I don't understand. They, they're only doing it because the superhero thing is so insanely hot right
3: now. And like, people are wanting to look at these old movies just to bash them and realize, oh my gosh, I'm so glad they're doing what they're doing. Oh, that's what I wanted to say. The uh, production gun in Golan. Yeah. These...
0: Uh,
3: that's what I recognize. Yeah, they're the ones who worked on Masters of the Universe. Right, and they so... got
1: very, very close to doing Spider-Man. Do You
3: realize oh. this
1: hurts bad? You realize how bad Spider-Man would be? They wouldn't even be able to afford the swinging sequences.
3: At all. How would you even get the sequences done? Oh. I mean, with the technology back then, it w- no, it just could not happen. It would just
1: had a guy but, on a rope. You would just see, like, that's not a spider web. That's just a rope with that Halloween cobweb crap all over it.
3: Exactly. But now, shoot, nowadays, oh, my God. I'm glad they waited the right time to actually push these movies.
1: Yes, definitely. When the budget could happen and a company with real money could do it.
3: And that comment you said earlier about, you know, actors doing the best with what they've got, I mean, I'd have to say the same thing about Hayden Christensen. I mean, I mean, I think he's a fine. I think he's a fine actor. I like him. He's good. He was great in Broken Glass and Jumper. Well, Jumper was kind of a crappy movie, but I thought he did okay. Yeah. But uh, and then there was also um, Takers, and New York, I Love You. But then watching, but you know, with what George Lucas was doing and the vision that this, you know, and how rushed it was, yeah, he did. He did what he could do. Yeah, and there's certain, Honestly, think yeah,
1: he, that happens to a lot of actors. Uh, you know, they see a superhero property and not just because. Superhero properties can make a lot of money, you know, Superman proved that, they can make a ton of cash, but there's also the thing, well, hey, you know what, I loved this comic book as a kid, how can I not play such an iconic character, because even if the rest of my career sucks, I still have this one role, now it's up to the company and the director behind it to go, alright, so we're with you, we love this project, we're not going to just do it for cheap cash-in, you know, they got to treat it with love and care, and make sure it sticks to uh, the history of the character that has been cultivated over decades instead of just going eh, just grab the name I don't care just no plot you know whatever
3: yeah, honestly well I mean as far as the quick cashings, I think some of the studios are just doing that now these days with all the big with all the superhero movies, especially Disney I mean come on look at look what they did they bought up Marvel they yeah. own Marvel Studios
1: and before Marvel really took off, you know they attempted numerous. Small screen, big screen, uh, there's a, the first one, of course, being, um, actually, I think this might be the first one, Punisher either being right before or right after, you know, that I was straight Punisher to the video as well, what?
3: I think Punisher was right before. Oh,
1: yeah, and that was straight to video, and then there was the Generation X TV movie, uh, I feel like there's a couple others, but right before, Marvel was basically saved from bankruptcy, and all of a sudden, their property became very, very hot, and every studio wanted one of them. Uh, they did Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. for Fox.
3: Oh my gosh, I'm, I am did not recognize Nick Fury at all with all those stupid one-liners.
1: Well, you know, if I remember reading Nick Fury, yes, he was pretty dead serious, but he would have a couple of dry one-liners here and there. Yes, I will say that it was a little heavy on the one-liners, but the writer of Nick Fury is also the writer of Batman David Bands, Goyer. And, but, yeah, David Goyer. He actually does a decent job, but you can see the production value is so insanely tight. I don't know if it was launching a TV series. Did it look like it was like a pilot for a TV show or straight up? I mobile?
3: thought it was a TV show. Yeah, it looked like it was supposed to be a TV show.
1: And usually when you see the name uh, David Hasselhoff, you automatically go, oh boy, oh, this is going to suck.
3: Baywatch. I,
1: I didn't think he was that bad in the role.
3: No, he wasn't. But like I said, the overall plot and you know the acting from like the villains... Just God, I I I mean, I'd rather watch Beautician and the Beast.
1: Holy <laughs> oh, man, you're, you're pulling no punches here.
3: I'll no, at, s- all. at all. Not all. Hess uh-huh. is
1: awful as Viper. Truly, god awful.
3: My gosh, I know Viper of all villains, and she had to do that.
1: But it's kind. Of yeah, weird. I mean,
3: I I see. There, there's been better acting in porn, honestly. <laughs> you know
1: the 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 fact that they did bring in you know Nick Fury, who actually looks like Nick Fury. David Hasselhoff did a fine job. Uh, they did a decent job setting up what Shield is, and they gave him a major villain, Hydra. Well, a lot of these movies, they kind of skip the main villain and say, "Oh, we'll just get him later," or the budget can't afford a really great.
3: Villain. Yeah, Baron von Strucker. who and- Actually, he showed up at the end of uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier. You know, overlooking you know Loki's staff and tampering and testing like you know the energy of it, and that's what set up you know Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Like, the radiation energy from that staff is what gave them their powers instead of, you know, trying to tie it in with X-Men is a distribution right. Okay,
1: ride. okay. I didn't realize that was going to be the twist on that,
3: huh? Yeah, no. I mean, if you watch... The, yeah, you can look it up on YouTube. You can find the end scene, the after credit scene of Winter Soldier.
1: I should actually finish some of these movies. I didn't realize they all had tags. That was kind of dumb of me.
3: Yeah. I also want to say, as far as, like, portraying the character of Nick Fury, uh, yeah, no. I mean, yeah, like you said, David Hasselhoff is perfect. I mean... He also he had that look. He had the hair. He had that chiseled jaw, strong chin. You know, really gruff, tough face. Yeah, no, he was. That's the reason why he was the leader of the Howling Commandos.
0: Right,
1: and, and David Hassoff is not a good actor. For some reason, that it, it just lined up for him because he is, as much as people love Knight Rider, he's not very good. And uh, everything else that's appeared since. No. Of course, we don't even have to discuss Baywatch. So that's just a big bag of dumb, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, like it is. It's all it's it's softcore porn. Yeah, pretty much. Without the without sex, you <laughs> have call it
1: Jiggle Beach or Boob Watch.
3: Yes, yeah, no. I even got my own comic book, Adventures of the Booby Watcher. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, so Nick Fury, um, it's it, it's a good curiosity. It has like these little things in the comic book. Like I don't think a lot of people remember what Death's Head is. That was kind of a thing going around in the early '90s with Marvel, and there's even a Death Head 2 that was like sensational. I don't really know what was going on with that. Death's Head, why does
3: that sound so familiar?
1: Uh, it was a mini-series from uh, the British division of Marvel, and it was so popular, they brought it over to America, and it was a huge hit here, and just kind of led from there, but I don't know what the original Death Head was.
3: Yeah, I can't remember either. I'll have to look it up later, but it sounds so familiar. I thought it, maybe, no, Daredevil deals with the hand.
1: Right, right. No, Death's Head is, uh, well, the second one's like a robot. I think it, it, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, I feel like a fool that I don't know what it is, but it's been so long. Uh, Nick Fury is available on DVD. It's kind of exclusive to Best Buy. Just check it out on YouTube. It's not really worth hunting down unless you're a massive fan of all things superhero. True. It's not as hideous and incompetent as Captain America. But like I said, the budget is so low that the action sequence don't flow very well. The set pieces are oddly lit to make them look like they're better than they really are. And the CGI is ridiculous. Even in 1998, it was ridiculous.
3: Yes. And also, I mean, plus... I think, I think what should have happened, I think I was surprised didn't happen since it was like 98, you wanted to go for a real good visual comic book look. I didn't really see any of that at all, like throughout the set or with the characters.
0: Yeah. All right, so but I think what like Go
3: ahead. Oh, I will say this. I mean, as far as like Nick Fury goes, like now being portrayed by Samuel L. Jackson, I think, yeah, they, I think Samuel L. Jackson really got that part down, especially after, you know, roles like SWAT.
1: Yeah, the authoritative, you know, very strong-willed. Knows exactly what he needs to do, when he needs to do it.
3: Andy Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs>
1: All right, everybody. Sorry to on that note.
3: <laughs> no trash
1: <laughs> cinema. Unlike Back in Tunes, our other podcast is uh, more of an R-rated affair. These are god awful movies, and if you gotta let a little f bomb fly here, and there, it's gonna fly. Uh, check out the rest of our episodes uh, up on Facebook. We're on Retro, Retro Rocket Entertainment. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and Libsyn. Everybody, have a good night.
3: All right. Namaste and good luck.